Hello everyone, my name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode originally aired August 7th, 2013, and features myself and Samer Cotty, uh, who I don't know how many of you might know who that gentleman was. He was a longtime columnist and a podcast member over at 411mania.com in the MMA Zone. He has since moved on to other things with his life. But he was kind enough to be on this particular episode, and we talked about animals as villains, which is a fairly interesting concept. So we talked about you know, things like Jaws, Cujo, uh, just animals being used as the oppositional force to our hero's stories. Because I always, I find that still a endlessly interesting way of kind of going about uh, telling a story in that particular respect. Uh, anyway. Thank you very much for liking the product, giving us a comment, a subscription, a, writ a star review, a written review, a star rating, whatever it happens to be. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, interacting with it a little bit is a giant help to us overall, so thank you very much for that. Also, let me get the sponsors out of the way so we can get on to the, well, back to myself in the past, I suppose. First up, let's talk Grammarly. For you listeners of the W2M Network, Grammarly is giving a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork to download Grammarly for free. There's also a link in the description below if you don't want to type that into your internet browser of choice. Also sponsoring this particular episode, Amazon Music. If you like songs, and who doesn't, we are giving away a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. This has, give, will give you access to Amazon Music's full catalog of more than 70 million songs. And you can listen to those, uh, again, on us. You will get 30 days of that for free, no muss, no fuss. Click the link below, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, and you can begin enjoying that and all of these services offered by over at amazonmusic.com for free, 30 days. After that, if you like the service and you think it's worth whatever they charge you for it, you're welcome to keep, to keep it. If not, you got 30 days of great music for free. No, uh, absolutely no risk to you whatsoever. So on that note, let me throw it back to 2013, one of my earlier episodes of this show, man, I uh, I have some fond memories of this program, if you can't tell. Some not so fond, but some fond. So past me, uh, take it away. I'm the fly in your suit, I'm the 
Hiccup that was the intro to The Shield, if any of you are professional wrestling fans. We are here. This is Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. I am your host, Robert Winfrey. Thank you for joining us. We took a hiatus last week because I got to help my dad move, which is, uh, moving sucks. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, love my dad. Always happy to help. I hate moving. So, coincidentally, anybody out there listening, if you know someone who's moving, offer to help. It sucks exponentially less if there's more people. So please, we all know it sucks. Many hands make light work. That phrase is stuck around for a reason. This week, we're back, and that happens to coincide with one of my favorite times of year, Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Who doesn't love sharks? And in honor of that, we are talking not just about sharks, although predominantly about them. We also want to talk this week about... All kinds of animals that can be construed as evil or have been, either in real life or books, movies, games, television, all kinds of fun stuff like that, because they can be everywhere, you know, and sharks specifically tend to evoke a lot of fear, because, let's face it, they can be scary if you're unprepared or if they're in a bad mood. I have a special guest at this time. He has not been on this show before. He was a used to be a regular on the 411 Ground and Pound MMA show that emanates from the same Blog Talk Radio account every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can now hear him regularly on the Man Cave with his good buddy Jeremy Lambert. He is one half of Occupy the Throne in the MMA section of 411 Mania. Give a warm welcome to Samer Cotty. How you doing, Samer? I'm uh, doing just great, and I'm super excited to be here. As I told Mark and Sean Comer that one time they had me to discuss over, I think, reviewing Batman movies, it generally feels refreshing whenever we're discussing anything that is an MMA. Not that there's anything wrong with MMA, but every now and then you do need that change of pace. I agree completely, especially after the last card, which had some issues, and to say the least. <laughs> yeah. But we're not here to talk about UFC 163 or Jose Aldo's broken foot. We're we're going to start this off with sharks because it is Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. You mentioned that you're a huge fan of sharks. I believe you went so far as to use the word nerd when describing your excitement for Shark Week. So maybe a little bit of your background. How did you get into them? Uh, you've mentioned you mentioned to me before that you've been diving for a while. So if you could enlighten everyone about how you became associated with sharks. Your thoughts on them? Just a brief rundown as far as that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been a bit of an animal geek since I was essentially very, very young. That's all I cared to play with when I was young. That was the kind of toys I used to play with. But it wasn't until I grew a little older, like maybe in my early, maybe I was like 13 or whatever, uh, I went to the Red Sea in Egypt. And um, we were doing, like, this quick submarine ride, and well, obviously the, the marine life that get there is gorgeous. And I get the idea, like, wouldn't it be cool if we see a shark? And that's, it was weird, because that's when everything started, I'm not sure clicking is the word, because for some people that's anything but clicking, but that's where the whole fascination started. And um, from there onwards, I really started, like, developing... Um, an affination for the creatures. I wanted to learn pretty much everything there is to learn about them. That's when I really got into the whole Shark Week thing and spying 
documentaries and watching them on YouTube later on. And when I took up diving classes maybe four years ago now, five years ago, um, that was actually one of my secret goals of the whole thing is to actually be able to dive with sharks. And initially it was one of those things where you hope for, but at the same time you have obvious trepidation, like how are you going to react if you're there? And at the same time, well, for somebody who lives in Montreal, you know that opportunity doesn't come every day, so you might actually just tell yourself, well, that's never going to happen anyway. But lo and behold, it did. We're diving in the Indian Ocean one day, and a black tip reef shark swam right below me, maybe seven feet below me. And it was weird because I wasn't really... I was obviously... I mean, there was excitement there, but there was no fear. And that actually set the tone for pretty much every other encounter I've had with sharks. I mean, I've seen... I've, I've been lucky enough to encounter them about a dozen times now. Um, I guess the most dangerous, quote-unquote, tidal shark... I've been around with the um, white oceanic white tip, which is pretty damn dangerous and known to be a man-eater. And that was quite scary, to tell you the truth. Not that there was a close encounter uh, or a near-death experience or anything, but it is intimidating to be in their presence. But, you know, the more it happens, the more regular it becomes. And that's kind of how the whole thing works. When you're diving, you really can't pick and choose what you're going to see down there. So you have to pretty much accept the fact that you might encounter some scary creatures and you have to just adapt, essentially, and be able to accept it. And that's actually the most thrilling part of diving, I feel, is just, you know, becoming one with the ocean and then just being part of the whole food chain, which sometimes cannot be such a good thing. Yeah, you know, uh, on one of the uh, Shark Week programming I saw last night, someone mentioned, one of the, I forget which one it was, but they mentioned, it was mentioned that, you know, the ocean is not like, you know, your backyard swimming pool. It is very much a wild place, and, you know, and you're, like you said, when you're in there, you're part of the food chain. That's the domain of things that are not humans, because we are, we have clearly not evolved to the point where we can exist safely under those particular set of circumstances. So... I think we're... I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I don't think we've evolved to exist safely in any sort of circumstances, really, so let alone down there in the ocean. It's tr- the human, Humans are surprisingly frail creatures, if not for our surprising ability to create essentially useless things that allow us to push other things around, we <laughs> we wouldn't be too very well off. Now, you've, you just said you've encountered sharks a couple of times. Sharks seem to be one of those creatures that by and large instill an amount of fear into people and in some cases with good reason they they they're the apex predator as far as that goes and they by and large sharks finished evolving uh, you know millions of years ago they have not needed to evolve or to change at all since now oh, the megalodon went extinct some two million years ago give or take you know depending on which scientific point of view you tend to take as far as when the meg when it went extinct but my opinion as far as any of these others that we're going to talk about, by and large, as well, they're just animals. As long as you don't do anything stupid, you're probably okay. Which is one of the interesting things about, especially animals, as far as you know, being a bad guy, being an, an being the antithesis, being the opposing force. Most of the time, if you're just if you avoid doing something stupid, you're probably going to be okay. And you know, kudos to various screenwriters or novelists who have come up with inventive ways to kind of make us forget that for a, a brief period of time. But since we're talking about sharks specifically, I mean, 
the, a lot of the shark, especially the fear craze, came about courtesy of the Steven Spielberg movie Jaws. And I'm going to assume you've seen it, and if you haven't, I'm going to look like a complete idiot. So you have seen Jaws, yes? No, of course, of course I've seen Jaws. So how did that play for you the first time you saw it? You know, be, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat that you are. You know, I was certainly fascinated with sharks and all manner of, you know, when I was a kid, if it was dangerous or potentially lethal, it was the epitome of coolness, so I had to know stuff about it. So how did that whole movie play for you when you first saw it? Uh, and, you know, the... 25-foot great white at the end that eats poor Robert Shaw off of the boat. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, as far as I remember, now, obviously, I, I saw the movie initially when I was, like, five, maybe. So um, I couldn't be too sure, but I'm pretty sure that was my first exposure to sharks, even though, you know, it wasn't much of an actual exposure to sharks. But I'm, I'm fairly sure I saw that movie way before I saw any documentary about sharks. Obviously, I was familiar with what sharks were, at five years old, but it was it was really my my first real just this is when it triggered my sense of curiosity initially about this whole shark thing. Like obviously even at five, um I was lucky enough to have parents who explained to me that, you know, this is a movie and it's just exaggerated because they wouldn't want me to be terrified any any time I'm in the water, which a lot of people were after that movie. Uh, yeah. But at the same horrifyingly time, effective. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And, you know, can't deny that the movie itself is pretty good. But obviously, you know, it's it's become a cliche to say this now. But, yes, it has earned Sharks a very undeserved reputation. Even Steven Spielberg himself went on to admit that. But, you know, it's 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 hard not to see why people would be scared of Sharks without such movies. Um, they look menacing. They live... And the water, which is for us, it's a you know, it's unknown territory. It's a very mysterious place, even without sharks. So how about you know you have these menacing creatures with razor sharp teeth, teeth, or have this reputation of actually attacking humans or you know being eating machines basically, and it's so hard to see why people would be scared of them. And obviously, Jaws created the whole shark hysteria back in the 70s, and I'll say it. We haven't been able to shake it off since, really, because, you know, sharks continue to get killed by humans with alarming rates every year, up to, in fact, some stats say, as as, as impossible as it is to believe, 200 million sharks are killed by humans every year, or up to 200 million sharks, which is just an absurd number. And obviously, it's it's unfair to blame all of that on Jaws, but... There seems to be, for a lot of people, I just think a lot of people don't really care because if you don't know any better, why would you care about this animal that's dying if he's just out there to kill you? You know, for all we know, it makes the water a safer place. I know it sounds like a very simplistic and dumb way of thinking, but that's how a lot of people think. Now, that's not to say that sharks are strictly killed because, you know, people perceive them as representing a threat to humans. That's obviously, there are, you know, far more important uses for shark finning and whatnot, but that that hardly makes it okay. But in any case, to answer your question just about Jolly, I do feel it started the whole, because, you know, it's Hollywood, and people watch movies, and it's, it's it really, it's not hard for something to become a bit of a trend whenever something's popular, whether good or bad, or no matter how flawed it is, it just, it's easy for it to become 
sort of a trend to become the talking point. And Jaws certainly was a phenomenon in its day. And great white sharks in particular have never been able to shake off that reputation thing. I mean, think of the whole cage diving thing. Yeah, it existed before Jaws, but till this day, humans believe that if you just die without a cage at the great white, you're essentially done. And as you said, even with a creature as inquisitive as a great white shark, and don't get me wrong, it is going to come close to you, and it is going to fear you up, for lack of a better term, but as you said, if you don't do something stupid, which is admittedly easier said than done, you should be safe. The number of unprovoked attacks is extremely minimal in the grand scheme of things. You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning while trying to, while buying a winning lottery expression, I heard, as far as being yeah. attacked by an unprovoked, actual, an unprovoked shark attack. Actual statistics show that more people die as a result of a vending machine accident than they do of <laughs> shark attacks. True story. I'd believe I would absolutely believe it. I mean, just the number of shark attacks in general is so low. I mean, I believe statistically you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than being attacked or you know, inquisitively. Yeah, is probably a more accurate phrase than attacked. But shark attack plays better in media. That's so true. The only thing, actually, because I've heard like all these uh, absurd stats where you have a better chance of you know this or that than it is to get attacked by a shark. Uh, the one thing. Where this doesn't apply, you have a better shark. Of, uh, you have a better chance of being attacked by a shark than to win the lottery. Unfortunately, well, the odds on winning the lottery are so very long, and it's just. I mean, this the statistics as far as winning the lottery goes are ridiculous. I mean, uh, I heard a phrase similar to the one I just said that you you have a better chance of being struck by lightning while doing like three other things than actually winning the lottery. <laughs> well, there you go. It, it it's ridiculous. I mean, just. When you understand the math behind it, it's like, why even bother? <laughs> and, of course, right. of course, us talking about this is immediately going to precede some dumb schmuck winning, like, $600 million. <laughs> <laughs> or some innocent soul getting attacked by a shark. But we're not wishing that upon anybody. Well, you know. And, well, I also wanted to talk with you a little bit about, you know, for those of us who enjoy animals like that, and, you know, be they sharks, you know, a couple of other types of animals that we're going to get into a little bit here, as far as playing that off in the media, you know, movies, television, etc., I mean, shark movies are obscenely prevalent. And I say obscenely because you know, the movie Sharknado came out on sci-fi a couple of weeks ago, and just, God help me, anything with Tara Reid makes me want to vomit from my eyes. So I'm just, I'm curious as to your opinion. Do you have, you know, some favorite shark movies that you like to watch, whether they portray the sharks, you know, good or bad, or as they should be portrayed as... You mentioned that Steven Spielberg kind of admitted that Jaws was more or less to the detriment of sharks everywhere. I think he was very cognizant of that fact later in his career, and in fact that... I, fe I feel that informed his decision to when he made Jurassic Park, because he, ve he very specifically said, I'm going, I want to film animals, not monsters. And the shark in Jaws trends a bit more towards monster territory, especially at the time, you know, in the 70s when there wasn't as much information. There still isn't a whole lot of actual factual information about sharks. A lot of what has turned out to be fiction is just perceived so widely that we kind of take it as fact. So I'm just, so about, you know, sharks in media and whatnot, do you have favorites? Uh, movies, again, games where they show up, just anything like that? Uh, well, let's be honest. 
aside of Jaws, there isn't there aren't any actual really good movies about sharks. However, I do have my fair share of guilty pleasures. Uh, oh, go for it, man. <laughs> initially, I like pleasures are just as viable. <laughs> well, there you go. So I like Deep Blue Sea initially. I don't know. That scene where Samuel L. Jackson gets killed by the shark. I mean, even as ridiculous as it, as it is nowadays, um, when I was 11 years old, watching that, I don't know, I jumped out of my seat when that shark just dove out of the water to just grab Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I like that movie. Um, but another really guilty pleasure of mine, one that isn't necessarily about sharks, but sharks are kind of prominent, at least they're, they get a lot of screen time, if that's the, the right expression, is Into the Blue with this dude from Fast and Furious and Jessica Alba. I don't know if you're, you've seen the movie. I believe I have seen enough of that one. It's, yeah, Paul Walker, Jessica Alba. Oh, yeah, I, I've seen enough of that one. They're like treasure hunters. Right. So I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I am guy. a sucker. Exactly. As the whole movie is one giant cliche. Like, I'm not even going to debate that. I'm not calling it a classic by any means. Hell, I don't even fault you if you say it's just a mediocre movie, which it probably is. But I am a sucker for that sort of scenery. I am a sucker for all this, like, you know, the, the, the water, the Caribbean water or the, or the Pacific, the, the whole treasure hunting thing. Just any movie that predominantly takes place at sea, essentially, is going to warrant my attention. And as long as it's not a complete piece of crap, I'll watch. Uh, Jessica Alba is a good enough eye candy to sustain my attention, and tiger sharks, which are my favorite sharks, um, being there is, you know, good enough for me, as far as I'm concerned. And that's one movie where, interestingly now, this is a useless bit of information, but an actual tiger shark, uh, was filmed throughout like every scene, even the one where he supposedly attacked humans. But in most scenes, he was actually almost steered by two obviously trained professionals. They were essentially holding him from each side and just directing him in the water, which takes a lot of balls. But yeah. Hey, we love useless trivia here. I'm, I'm a huge fan of trivia, of you know, random trivia and stuff like that. And look, I'm not going to bash anybody anywhere for enjoying guilty pleasures i mean we've all got them i don't i've never seen the purpose in insulting someone's guilty pleasures i mean we've all got them they're all objectively speaking more or less on the same level just because something is objectively good doesn't mean you have to like it and the reverse is of course also true i mean one of my favorite movies of all time i can sit down and watch tremors all day long and i will I'll be the first to admit, it's just a send-up of the 50s horror movie. Nothing objectively great, but God help me, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I can't fault you. I should mention, though, and I neglected to mention this, have you seen Open Water, the first one? I have not. I've been trying to, I mean, you, on the inter, you, on the Internet, you know, you think I could find anything that I wanted with, you know, you can, really. I just haven't been able to find it, but I remember when it came out, and people were talking about it because, you know, it was just kind of so... Ominous and depressing throughout the whole thing. And, oh, I mean, it was. You've seen, <laughs> you know, I'll take your word, for, and which of course makes me want to see it a little more. I tend to enjoy things on the darker side, obviously. But you know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I lost my train of thought there. 
But yeah, I remember sharks being featured in that. As, in, in addition to just the horror of you know coming up and your boat's not there if you're diving. I mean, you know, you've you mentioned that you dive, so I I personally can't imagine what that would feel like to just come up and there's nothing there when there's supposed to be a boat within a reasonable vicinity. <laughs> oh, dude, like that movie actually traumatized me for a while. Well, that kind of be, see my, my real fear was not to get eaten by a shark it's to go up there and my boat isn't there and then i'm stuck with my like diving buddy and that's no good <laughs> but um you, you i think the movie is worth a look it is a surprisingly good movie for a movie that essentially is all about two people interacting in the middle of the ocean with virtually nobody else it's well made I'm not calling it a classic or anything, but I don't think anybody could realistically come off that movie thinking, oh, you know, that was awful. I don't think you could objectively, and, you know, you're right, like, you can hate anything and you can like anything, and that's fine. But objectively speaking, it's hard to, not to call it anything but at least a good movie. And, yeah, while it's not strictly about sharks, it starts with the, you know, horrors of just not fighting your boat there. Um, once they're completely lost, without spoiling anything, once they're completely just lost at sea, the, the main terror is always the sharks. That's the main menace. That's the main threat. It's recurring throughout the movie. And it's for a movie that, again, portrays sharks in a negative image, it doesn't go into hyperbole mode. Yeah, if you get stuck in the middle of the ocean alone, you might get attacked by a shark. It happens. It's not the shark that's out for blood or anything. It's just it happens. It's a reasonable approximation of events that might take place, which you know, it, there's a world of difference between that and some of the other, you know, sci-fi, uh, you know, sci-fi original movies. You know, God love them; <laughs> they're so bad sometimes. But you know, they tend to throw, you know, again, sharks because they're relatively easy to work with. As far as you know, it, I, just, anybody listening. If you want to have kind of a laugh as far as that goes, I dare you to go on Netflix and in their search button, their search bar, type in shark and just look at all the stuff that comes up because you'll get two-headed shark attack, shark versus crocodile, sharknado will be out there very soon, I'm sure. Oh, it's just, it's so sad that there's so much bad stuff out there around them because they're really interesting animals. I mean, the vast majority of shark species don't even look like you would expect them to look. I mean, there's over 200 species of sharks, since we're just talking about sharks, and not all of them even physically look like, you know, the bull shark, the tiger shark, the you know, elongated gray body with the you know, almost tuna-like proportions. I mean, you have the you know, smaller reef sharks, you have the really long ones that tend to hang out around reefs that are a lot smaller. I mean, there's so many different types. And nurse sharks. Yeah, nurse sharks. They're fun little guys. The whale shark, yeah. which couldn't hurt you if it tried. I mean, maybe it could land on you. Yeah, I was lucky enough to actually swim with one, and the size is intimidating, but that's about it. Well, especially when you understand that, you know, they eat by just opening their mouth and inhaling a bunch of, you know, water with small stuff in it. I mean, even if you got inhaled by one, there's not enough teeth or digestive fluid to cause you problems. It would probably just spit you back out. Apparently, it happened to. There's a video that's happening to a Japanese diver where he it, it gets he gets accidentally inhaled by the whale shark and just spits him right out. That couldn't have been fun, though. It, you know, that's one of those things that when you get over it, it's probably like, man, that was awesome. Uh, I agree. There that's one like hell of that, a story that, to tell. Yeah. How many people get to say, oh, by the way, I got spit out by a whale shark? 
<laughs> That's true, actually. But in the realm of, and I didn't mention this beforehand to you, so I apologize if I'm going to spring in this on you, but in the realm of fish that get a bad rap, in addition to sharks, we have everyone's favorite freshwater killer, piranhas. The piranha, right. Which, I don't know how many... Everyone listening, piranhas, the amount of recorded attacks by piranhas on humans is ridiculously small. I mean, they're, you know, a whole school of piranha is a fearsome sight, and yeah, they will strip the flesh from a cow, but I mean, I've only heard personally of maybe three, maybe. I'm, I'm kind of pulling that off of, you know, maybe I've heard of some that I haven't quite remembered fully, but that's another fish that, if you believe the movies, you know, the 1970s Piranha, the remake that came out that was granted drastically over the top, but it had Christopher Lloyd in it, so it can't be all bad. But Piranhas, they're another one that get a really bad rap as far as Hollywood goes, for want of a better Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and it's it's an even, it's, I don't know if it's possible to call that, but it's almost an even more undeserved rap than the ones Shark get, because... Obviously, you know, you have a bigger chance of being in contact with sharks than you do with piranhas. They're far more, you know, spread out across the globe. They swim uh, in the ocean. So, you know, it's not a, a fair comparison from a strictly statistic or data point of view, but you at least still hear a shark attacks every now and then. I mean, I doubt that a year would go by without he- hearing about somebody, unfortunately, you know, getting attacked by a shark or even dying as a result of a shark bite. But piranha attacks, now, that is extremely rare. Not only is it rare, but it's even rare to be attacked the way, you know, it's portrayed in movies by, like, this huge-ass horde of piranhas that will just, you know, as you said, just trip the flesh off your bones in a matter of minutes. That's not really likely at all, really. I mean, that's how they hunt. They do, you know, they, you know, there's evidence, you know, you've, there's videos out there. Yeah, they you know, do hunt in packs. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, they, they do. do hunt but, packs, I mean, I've never, I've heard of maybe two or three confirmed legitimate cases of some poor human being attacked and having parts of their anatomy stripped off by a school of piranha. And Obviously, even then, I, I, the one I, I time I can go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. Just go. Move on with your point, and I'll I'll backtrack off one thing though. Okay. The only one that I can think of that I have any deliberate, you know, great recollection of is, uh, you know, speaking of kind of guilty pleasures, I kind of enjoy watching the River Monsters series on Animal Planet. And the host of that, Jeremy Wade, has done a lot of effort to dispel the myth that piranhas will attack people, you know, unless you do something enormously stupid, like stumble into a bunch of them bleeding profusely and they haven't eaten for three days. He did have one uh, story, I think it almost closed out his last, the last season, no, that was Loch Ness, but about that time, that some piranha had attacked a person based on, and you know, the whole point there is, well, okay, why would, you know, we've had like, you know, two documented piranha attack cases, what would cause this to happen? And the answer kind of came down to there's invasive species, uh, fish species that have been introduced into their habitat that are making them compete for their normal prey together, and that's kind of what has lent them to be a bit more aggressive than they have been in the past. And even in different types of piranha, I mean, red bre- red-bellied piranha tend to fight in schools. Black piranha are more, much more solitary creatures, and yet you know we've created the myth of 
these things will kill large numbers of people if they're released into a swimming pool at the same time. Yeah, that's, I think, um, what's really exaggerated is just how aggressive they are. Obviously, for a fish, especially a fish that size, they are highly aggressive. And as you mentioned, they do hunt in packs. And nobody's suggesting they're not dangerous. The same way, I don't think anyone's suggesting sharks are not dangerous. But the thing with prions is they're not, it's not like, oh, the moment they even hear your foot just stepping inside that water, they're on guard to just, you know, they're just ready to, to tear your thighs off. That's not really how it works. And I feel with piranhas, the misconceptions are even bigger than that of sharks. Well, for starters, you know, Shark Week is the best example. There are a lot of documentaries about sharks. That's not to say that there aren't about piranhas, but sharks in general are a far more popular topic, I would say. And people seem far more interested in actually learning about sharks. I mean, Shark Week alone has educated a lot of people. And even those who aren't, like, fully interested or fully, you know, like, nerds, as I would call myself, um, they still know, you know, or at least have heard the basic, um, I would say, uh, rebuttals to the popular misconceptions about shark. But with piranhas, that's not always the case. For example, we've all heard, and it's absolutely true, that most shark attacks are investigatory bites for the most part because, you know, a shark has no other way of actually recognizing what you are, so they're just going to take a bite, and unfortunately that's often enough to prefer a human being to lose a limb. But with piranhas, I feel like the amount of research isn't as extensive um, the, the, the information isn't as well spread. People maybe just, I don't want to say don't care enough to learn, but it's not something you encounter every day, like, you know, information about piranha, why do they attack, uh, how often do piranhas attack, and all that stuff. So I think that kind of lends itself into creating an even bigger misconception about what they do. And sometimes there are some things that people just want to believe because it sounds cool. Like it sounds cool that the small ass fish just travel in packs and just completely is able to completely rip every piece of flesh off your bones in a matter of minutes. It just sounds creepy. And that's not to say that it's not possible, but people want to believe. They almost want to be afraid, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. And I completely agree. You know, one of the reasons I do this is because this podcast in particular is because I have a personal kind of fascination with, you know, the creepy, the crazy, the bad guys of the world, you know, real and imagined. And one of the things about something like a piranha or you know, we're going to get into a couple of other things here. I mean, if we want to just like debunk myths as far as stuff like that goes, I mean, pit bulls get a hugely undeserved reputation. But one of the reasons I do it is because it is so interesting to see that People almost feel comforted if there's something out there that they can point to and go, no, 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 that's that's bad, that's the monster, that's evil. Yeah, it is. It is strangely fascinating, but I completely agree. We, it's it's just almost the same reason. I know it's a completely different topic, and we're not even going to attempt to go there. But it's the same reason some. I'm not saying everybody who believes that you know shares this line of thought, but there's it's exactly the kind of reason why some choose to believe that there's life beyond this planet. You know, that the threat of an of an alien invasion is that you always want to feel that there's always this 
menacing pause, no matter where it is, whether it's in the bottom of the ocean, in the Amazon River, or on Jupiter or whatever. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, and it's, to be fair, it's kind of fun. I mean, there's a bit in oh, almost it's all people fun. that like to, yeah, I mean, the fir- the thing that debuted Shark Week this week was uh, the the scientist who believed that he had encountered a megalodon, which, for those of you who don't know, megalodon is a prehistoric shark. It was, it's believed to have gone extinct, is generally accepted. I mean, the irony of, you know, you get a room full of experts and they'll never agree to get, they'll, they'll never agree on anything type of scenario, but by and large, it's accepted. A couple million years ago, the thing went extinct. It was very similar to the Great White in terms of body type, as far as we've you know, been able to speculate. And it was just, it was huge. I mean, it was over a hundred feet long. They've made life-size models. Uh, I know they did for again. If you watch Shark Week, they have made life-size models, and the thing is enormous. And you know, he's and now there's this bio, this marine biologist who's saying we believe that we've encountered one, and. The whole and you know, when you watch enough television, you can kind of tell, or any produced product, you can start to tell when the producers are editing or kind of slanting things a certain way. And they're the whole kind of slant, as far as this one goes, was you know, maybe it's possible that a megalodon has survived, and or more than one. And you know, there's all these kind of fun statistics that you can bring up to get that little bit of doubt that maybe there is one. You know, we've only explored, you know, something like 5% of the ocean when, when you get below however many feet. You know, we know more about distant moons and galaxies than we do about, like, the Mariana Trench, for example. I mean, and there's all these fun little facts that you can bring up to just kind of make people believe that, you know, maybe there is one, and then, you know... But when you look at it objectively, it's like, no, <laughs> it could not possibly still exist. Coincidentally, the uh, novel Meg, I forget the author... Uh, which features same story of megalodon coming out of the Mariana Trench and kind of repopulating leads to a whole series. Fun book, I enjoyed it. That's one of my personal favorite. You know, as far as shark books go, I really enjoy that one. So yeah, I, I kind of cut you off there. Sorry. No, no, no. no. I, I actually didn't say anything. But I obviously, if 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 we understand the fascination with sharks and piranhas, then we have to understand the fascination with megalodon because, as you said. It's essentially a great white shark times 30 or something like that. So, you know, that's a scary proposition. And, I mean, I saw that documentary you're referring to, the, the one at the beginning of Shark Week, and I I enjoyed the topic. I, I, want, I find it hugely fascinating that a 100-foot shark once populated the Earth. It is, I mean... You can't not be fascinated, even if you don't care about sharks, you know, because that's essentially, by by today's language, this would be labeled as a monster. And I do enjoy the topic, but I I don't really appreciate documentaries that are just throwing wacky ideas, saying, well, what if, and maybe. And as you said, it's, it's edited out in a very convenient manner that makes it sound as if, oh, you know, it's possible. I mean, we've only explored, as you said, like 5% of the ocean. Well, that's certainly true. And, you know, case in point, nobody knows where and how and whatever, like great white sharks mate. And people have tagged great whites and have followed them. And we don't even know. Not only have we never seen them mate, we don't know where they do that. So, 
you know, that, that should tell you everything all you need to know because they're creatures that are sought after and people want to learn, scientists want to learn about them, and yet we learn, learn so little. So I guess by that logic you could say, oh, well, maybe a megalodon populates the, 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 the seas. But, I mean, deep down inside, even the, the, the wildest skeptics, or I guess not skeptics, but call them whatever you want to call them. I don't think anybody really believes that. There's just, I don't, it's it's fun to think of the possibilities that in it's today's like the, world uh, they would exist. For me, that's like the uh, X-Files post. You know, I want to believe, but I feel, but I kind of, but with the caveat, I almost feel stupid for believing. Yeah, I mean, it would be super cool, if, if, but it's, it's just like, with the Megalodon at this point, well, save for the fact that it actually existed once upon a time, but at this point, it's sort of like the Loch Ness Monster or like Bigfoot or any of these popular myths. I mean, except that because it's supposed to live in the ocean, which is like this huge, vast place, you know, the arguments for its existence can be stronger in that, well, we don't know, you know, we've only sort so little of the ocean, whereas with Bigfoot, or even a Loch Ness Monster, you know, you just have this lake, and then, you know, whether it's there or not. So, I mean, if if, if you really want to reach, then maybe, but as you said, there's just, realistically, there's just no way. And, hey, that's, to me, that's unfortunate. I, I, I do wish they existed. Wouldn't want to stumble upon one, though. No, I mean, again, if you've ever seen the models, just the jaws from these things, it's enormous, and it's it's a terrifying prospect by and large. But again, it's one of those things that you know when you see something that, especially in that where it's supposed to be extinct, and all of a sudden you know it, you discover it, or I mean that's you know and to that point that that stuff has happened with marine life for quite a while now. I mean things that have supposed to have been extinct have been discovered pretty recently. In fact, there was like a whale species that we finally found that a that a recently deceased example of was discovered and it's kind of sad because it is so cool but at the same time you all of the you know, kind of conspiracy theorists for want of a better phrase you can you know they're just going to start pointing at that and i mean i'm kind of like you as far as like bigfoot goes you know these poor people who are out there trying to prove that they exist and document and it's just like you know if they were out there with all of you idiots out there trouncing around looking for them somebody would have seen something by now right Especially because it is it is a land animal. I mean, I'm not saying we know every single land animal in existence. In fact, I know we don't. And even today, we find out about new species still. But, I mean, you'd think there'd be... I mean, with, with today, I mean, you go on YouTube and you see all these animal encounters. On a daily basis, you can find new videos of, like, wolf encounters, grizzly bear encounters, these amateur footage... I mean, shark encounters, everything, you you name it. And I'm supposed to believe that in, like, what, 100 years, nobody has been able to see this, you know, Sasquatch that is just walking around in the woods. I just, you know, I mean, I want, I want to believe it. I really do, as you said. But there's no realistic way of that being the case. It's, uh, and... Especially with, you know, as far as Bigfoot goes, especially there's like two or three different shows on television now dedicated to following these people who are looking for them. And it's all, I mean, if you want a bunch of unintentional humor, 
that's one of your shows. I mean, by all means. But that's a fairly creative way of wasting your time. I mean, if you want to really waste your time doing something utterly useless and with no possible positive outcome, you might as well go look for Bigfoot. It's true. And to be fair, you will get people who will donate money to your cause. I mean. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. It's crazy. All right. We also wanted to discuss specifically and another animal that in some cases gets kind of a bad rap and in some cases it's deserved, although I tend to follow. I told my brothers once, after watching an episode of The Walking Dead, I forget the specific episode, in season two, Carl stumbles across a zombie that is stuck in the mud. And he proceeds to throw rocks at it until it becomes so enraged it escapes, follows him, kills Dale. And I watched this with my brothers, and I immediately, after it was over, looked at them and said, that was stupid of him. Do not do anything stupid. And that's kind of my ref- my general refrain with them and with a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be a people younger. My own personal mantra, don't do anything stupid. And it's not as easy as it sounds all the time, but and I bring that up because I want to move on to snakes here because they also kind of get a bad rap. And people get bitten by them. People die from snake bites or other attacks if you're stupid enough to keep a giant boa in a position where it could potentially get around your neck. But, at, so, you know, don't do anything stupid is a pretty good piece of advice as far as that goes. But I want to talk about snakes, and they get, you know, they get kind of a bad rap, too. They're, I mean, again, if you want to have fun, look up snakes on YouTube and see how many different bizarre, poorly done movies you get, like Komodo Dragon versus King Cobra. I mean, I, it's out there, folks. I'm not making that up. So, uh, I definitely thought you were. I thought you just shot from the hip, came off, but I came up with two oh, no, animals. Oh, no, 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 and... that's real. <laughs> that is completely <laughs> legitimate. I I couldn't make that up if I tried. But so, you know, your impression of, you know, are you into snakes at all? Do you... Uh, oh, absolutely. Same thing I'm as into before, reptiles in general. I mean, reptiles are awesome. I, I'm into reptiles. No, go ahead, go ahead. I just said reptiles are awesome. Oh, well... <laughs> I crocodiles and snakes. I'd say after sharks, they're probably tied for like my second favorite animals. Um, you know, I do enjoy reptiles. Snakes, well, snakes, as far as their reputation, well, they have the misfortune of being reptiles because most people do not like reptiles. Let's be honest. Reptiles are not cute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the text, in, the textural, the textile would be probably. Element to it, it, they feel different than you expect them to, and people right. react kind of oddly and, to that. Yeah, and they almost like I was talking about this to, to like a girl I know once, and she says like reptiles they feel gross. Now I don't know what that means, but I kind of I see why she would think that. Like just watching them crawling around, even a I mean a frog is actually an amphibian, so never mind. But just looking at a lizard or a snake or whatever, it. I mean, I would understand why some people would get that feeling. Especially, I mean, snakes happen to be arguably the most menacing of reptiles. But, you know, as far as the actual attacks go, I mean, as as is the case with sharks, there are generally a lot of unfortunate accidents. As you mentioned, there are cases where people are just stupid, and that's unfortunately something that can never be controlled. Seeing of evolution, I don't think will ever evolve to that point, where stupidity does not exist. But That's because human beings have nullified the theory of evolution with their ability to save people from their stupidity. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't argue with that. But, Different topic. I've I've had that discussion before, yeah. but moving on. 
<laughs> Moving on. Um, you know, with snakes, I mean, in, in, in countries like, uh, well, in, in a continent like Africa and a country like India, you are subject to snake attacks if you're like some poor guy who works at like a, a cornfield or something in India, and they're most of the time they're barefoot, and you accidentally stumble upon a Russell's viper, and that's you know that's always a possible, not a likely one, but it's a possibility, and it happens. But at the same time, snakes are even provided you actually see them and are, do not accidentally step upon one or, or like are not startled by suddenly encountering one and the snake reacts to you being afraid or whatever, provided you could actually see the snake, it is even more harmless than a shark because sharks are inquisitive. Sharks are generally, well, you know, they sharks are known to attack humans. Yeah, sharks that are known to attack humans, they're generally not afraid to approach you. Uh, any shark that's about your size is, you know, generally not going to be intimidated by you. And they'll, they'll be swimming around you. But a snake, especially, I mean, we're talking about venomous snake for, for, like for this uh, example yeah, at the moment, yes. So venomous snakes, I mean, why, just logically speaking, why would a snake waste its venom on you. I mean, most of the time, in fact, most snake bites are not lethal because the snake only injects a, a fairly minimal amount of venom. In fact, there's a large recorded tax of bites by venomous snakes where venom is nowhere to be, fought, to be found in, in, inside your body because the snake just does not inject any. Snakes generally, they save their venom, not generally, almost all the time. They're going to save their venom to either when, when they're, either when they're threatened by another creature or they want to hunt, which is what most predators do, and that's what snakes do. I mean, a rattlesnake is generally going to save its venom for a rodent. That's really how things work. So a snake is not, it's just not going to come up to you and bite you for shits and giggles, I don't think. And this is why I feel with snakes, it's even easier to debunk every single myth just by using pure logic. But at the same time, like sharks, they are oddly menacing the way they look, the way they move around. It's even more intimidating the fact that, maybe not intimidating, but more worrisome, I guess, for some, that you get in contact with them on land, they might, you know, sneak up. And if you live in Australia, I mean, God help you. I'm sure most people, not most, but a lot of people in Australia have encountered a snake even in their house at one point or another. So that's that always, you know, makes this whole sensation of fear towards snakes all the more magnified, I guess. But at the end of the day, they're really, I don't want to say harmless, because maybe that's an exaggeration, but they're really, really not nearly as bad as most make them out to be. Yeah, as far, to comment briefly on your dry bite thing from earlier, uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I live in Utah, I've been hiking here plenty of times, and southern Utah is kind of a desert, and we have a lot of rattlesnakes. Uh, the first few times I went out, I was told, you know, watch for them, you know, don't be stupid, but... If you get bit, it's the little ones you have to watch out for because the young snakes do not have the muscular control over their venom glands, and if they bite you, they're going to dump all of their venom into you. 
whereas the older snakes, they know how to regulate it a little bit more because venom takes energy to produce. So they tend to be more just, they'll bite you, they'll, I mean, there are species of cobra that don't even bite, they'll just headbutt you, if you kind of get into that. But uh, since we are talking about snakes, you know, a lot, I hate to say this again, but, you know, one of my pers- one of my first memories as far as, you know, snakes going also involves our good friend Steven Spielberg. I grew up, you know, with Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my all-time favorite movies to this day, and... That sequence when Indiana Jones falls down off of the rope and that cobra just goes from being just one of the other snakes to all of a sudden back up, hood out, staring Indy in the face. It's an iconic sequence, and it that's all that's kind of triggered my interest in snakes in general. But you know, it's still an intimidating thing to have, you know, especially from you know a small child watching a movie. I mean, you know, my parents didn't. You know, they were good about, you know, not me being not scared or anything, but at the same time, it's like, you know, no, there's actually glass, and if you look closely, you can kind of see the reflection here. The snake pumps back up, and which you can, but that's not, but that, that's a, you know, that remains a very iconic sequence. I mean, so do you have any, you know, movies that kind of stick out to your mind where snakes play a prominent role as being kind of the, anti- the being the bad guys? Of course, you know, if we could ignore snakes on the plane for just a moment. Yeah, I was, I was just about to mention that. Just you know, I was in topic Samuel Jackson earlier. Uh, that yeah, that that movie, even for guilty pleasure purposes, should not exist. I'm sorry. That's the one time I criticize your taste in movies. If anybody mentions that, but um, originally, I think one of the again, I mean, most of this stems back to childhood memories. So. Because, you know, as you grow up, we're far more selective about the shit we watch, let's be honest. Um, oh, yeah. One of my first exposure to any movies with the snake as a protagonist, I guess, if you want to call it that, or as you said, protagonist, the protagonist, antagonist, was, however you want to phrase yeah, it. Yeah, antagonist, that's, that's exactly what it is, uh, was Anaconda. Now, obviously, this is, you know, not venomous snakes, but... Um, They're huge snakes, and they'll still eat you. If you listen to John Voight. The, Oh, that's. <laughs> I mean, the, the cast was famous enough. Um, as I said, I am a sucker for setting, so the fact that it was taking place, you know, in the Amazon on a deck for the most part, um, that kind of attracted me. And I was actually, as a kid, I had never heard of of an anaconda. I had no idea what that was. So, you know. That movie, obviously, was, you know, that was more of a movie about a monster rather than a real animal, which is what we were talking about earlier. But that's that's really, that that helped in starting, you know, the, my whole fascination with snakes as well. As, as you just mentioned, a lot of these things take place, you know, you mentioned Indiana Jones and that iconic scene with the cobra. A lot of these weird fascinations or interests or whatever, they start with movies oftentimes. So, you know, that's when, when that started... Um, I feel like there's, I feel like there's an obvious example I'm missing uh, about a movie with like, um, uh, actually, all right, um, what is it called? Is it, um, you know, those three brothers that go into the wild to like film, uh, get amateur footage, and they wanted to feel film like a cave full of grizzly bears. What is it called? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Wild America. I is think. it America Jonathan something? Taylor Thomas. I think it's Wild America. Give me a second. I'm... Wild America. That's what it is. And, like, again, as a child, I, I enjoyed that movie. 
And I was there's this scene where um they walk into the cage to, uh, to film the Grizzlies, and they stumble upon like this huge swarm of rattlesnakes. And to me, that was what stuck with me the most from that movie. Like, not the scene with the moose, not the scene with, like, the, the American Eagle, not even the encounter with the Grizzly, which just was supposed to be, you know, the climax of the movie. No, it was the moment right before that when, you know, they encountered the rattlesnakes. And their great idea of actually sidestepping them was to pour snow on top of them as if that's, that's supposed to stop them if you're stepping on them for some reason. But, hey, it worked. And, you know, that's another movie that really stuck with me. Again, as I said, like, I, I, was, I was a huge animal geek, so that movie was all about, you know, three young men who love to film animals, so that kind of resonated with me. And, yeah, as I just said, like, the snake scene really stuck with me. Especially, you know, that sound, the, the rattling sound of rattlesnakes. It, it's really, it's become part of American culture, almost. Like, you, you might have no interest in snakes whatsoever, but if you hear that, you know what it is. I believe the sound of a rattlesnake is in the top ten, if not top five, most recognizable sounds in the world. Number two being the cocking of a 12-gauge shotgun, and number one being a crying baby. I would. That's actually fascinating. But yeah, I can definitely see, because there's no way in hell you could mistake it with anything else. Yeah, I, if you don't mind a brief personal anecdote, I mentioned I've been hiking plenty of times in southern Utah, and... On one outing, we were going through a slot canyon, which, for those of you who don't know, it's a canyon that's with fairly close walls. We were uh, kind of sideways on it. Uh, we had to walk sideways through it. The walls were that close together. And coming into one part where it opened up a little bit wider, I was, I think, not in the front, but I was the second guy from the front in the line that we were walking in. And we stepped into this slightly wider part, and... You know, you hear that. I heard you hear that rattlesnake go, and it, for just a minute, it's like, wait a minute, what is that? And then the scout leader who was behind me pushed me off to the side, away from the snake, and it was this, this little one. It was under a crevice on the other side, and I mean, it wasn't bothering us. I mean, again, we're in very confined quarters here, so it's scary, and it's you know, again, it's like it's a little one, and you know, we've all been told, you know, they're the ones you got to watch out for because if they bite you, they're going to dump all of their venom into you, and we proceeded to very slowly kind of edge around it because there was enough room for us to get by safely. And you leave a marker on each side. By the way, there's a snake here. But for me, the scariest part about that particular encounter was not the rattling of the snake. It was actually when it stopped. Because it's an, when you're in that situation, it's almost oddly comforting to hear it, and then it stops rattling, and you, wait, what the hell is going on? Something changed. I can actually tell. In fact, in that movie, Open Water, at one point, uh, sharks are circling them, and only one of the two protagonists has a, um, a either they were like diving goggles or a diving mask, and he was, you know, looking at them, and then he stopped seeing them anymore. And his wife says, "I don't know what's worse, seeing them or not seeing them." And I can totally see that. And it kind of, it's the same way with your example. And that, at least when they're making that noise, you know, it's there. You can react accordingly. It's the silence that's most menacing. Well, plus they're supposed to stop rattling right before they strike. Right. And, yeah, and, of course, being, <laughs> and being a scout camp out, you know, the night before, everyone's mentioning, you know, goofy things about snakes and you have leaders who are kind of giving you the you know the nudge as far as oh yeah you know as soon as they stop man you'll just i don't know we'd have to carry you out you know and then those slot canes now we might actually have to leave you know just 
you ever been on a scout trip, you kind of know the stuff I'm talking about. But you know, you met you mentioned Anaconda. I rewatched it recently, not in preparation for this because I wanted to. I can no longer hate the Anaconda in that because it eats Owen Wilson. If you anything that anytime Owen Wilson dies in a movie, it goes up in my estimation. I completely forgotten about that, right? Because um, wasn't yeah, Owen Wilson in that movie? Doesn't he hook up with that uh, Carrie War chick from? Um, yeah, that, that hot yeah, yeah. brunette girl. And yeah, yeah and, and then, then the Anaconda. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that scene. I hadn't seen that movie in years. Now that you mentioned that, I had even forgotten that Owen Wilson was in there. So, yeah, that actually does kick the movie up a few notches. I'm, I'm with you on that I, one. I had forgotten about it, too, until I realized, I'm like, wait, there's Owen Wilson. Oh, wait, his character dies. This movie's awesome. You know, I like watch. I like the movie Armageddon. That has a lot to do with it too. Owen Wilson dies in space. He's not even on the planet when he dies. This is good. <laughs> uh, if only, if only there were so many Ben Affleck deaths, then I'll be happy. Uh, yeah, ben Affleck, Ben Stiller can die horribly and painfully on film, and I'll just legitimately on film. By the way, I will buy the snuff film, people. <laughs> uh, that's a horrible thing. Um. The other thing I wanted to get into, since we're you know, still on the same thing, I wanted to talk briefly, since we got ha- we got about 20, min- 20 minutes and change less left. Since you're kind of, you know, you like spikes, you like sharks, snakes, that kind of stuff. How are you about spiders? Um, again, um, I am fascinated by wildlife in general. Spiders are no exception. However, I, w- I would say my fascination is not as intense. However, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I'm, I know my fair share about spiders. I would say, no, like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm obviously not scared of sharks since I actually seek them out. I'm definitely not scared of snakes, but for some reason, I would find a spider more, if, I don't know, I, I I think I'd rather encounter a snake in my room than a spider. I just think, I just get this visual of, like, waking up in the middle of night with this, like, you know, a spider crawling all over you. It's more likely than, you know, a snake crawling all over you. I don't know, I just, I get that. And I they do give me, or at least they used to give me the chills, I'll say that. But, um... You know what? Uh, I was in Australia once, and um, uh, I'm glad you came out. I of mean, there alive. Every, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 for I anyone mean, who doesn't know, as a brief aside, there is a video on YouTube uh, that is set to this little catchy kind of jingle about come to Australia where you might accidentally get killed, and it happens to list <laughs> all of the venomous or dangerous animals that live within there there's three different ty- there's like three or four different species of spider there's four different snakes there's an octopus that's I mean, potentially lethal there's a couple of different jellyfish species australia is not a hospitable continent ladies and gentlemen oh dude far from it i mean let's put it this way uh when steve Irwin, bless his soul died uh they were filming a show called oceans deadly and each and every single one of those creatures happen to inhabit Australia. Uh, even on land, I mean, seriously, you have the most venomous snake in the world, which is the inland taipan, and it lives in the Australian desert. You have the black widow spider. Um, you have the box jellyfish, which is the most venomous creature on Earth, kill you in about three minutes, give or take. So that's, and it's a jellyfish. 
right. they have the jellyfish, they have yeah. the snails, they have snails, the white shark, saltwater crocodiles. Right, exactly. I forgot about them, but yeah, they have the crocodiles. Yeah, they have saltwater crocodiles, great white sharks, tiger sharks. You name it, they seriously, that country, yeah, from, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. When it comes to Australia, I mean, the continent on the whole, but, you know, the country too, it's um, not fun if you're not a fan of things that could kill you. (laughs) So So anyway, about you were there and we were talking about spiders. Yeah, and that's, that's I was I was a bit younger than that and that's why everybody was talking. Nobody talked about all the other things I just mentioned. All they kept mentioning was spiders for some reason, as if a snake is fine. But and they keep mentioning you know spiders, spiders, spiders. And I go there and this friend of mine happens to own a tarantula. So okay, that actually it was a bit of a shock therapy treatment and that really. Forcing me to hold that thing because I have lost a bet, <laughs> that did it for me. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that's the. It was a video game bet, and I, I don't even recall what was the game we were playing, but I lost. And yeah, I, was, I held that tarantula for a good five seconds, and well, that that, that wasn't fun. They're surprisingly heavy, and yeah, they're I mean, pretty since dense. then, ah, oh, really. Well, so, what kind of tarantula do you remember? Or oh no, that was that was a while ago. I have no recollection. I mean, too bad. Okay. I, I could text them right now, but I think <laughs> I don't think it's worth it. But uh, I don't. I really don't recall actually. That was a good, keep going. Maybe seven, eight years ago. So well, tarantulas in general, they're fun. Tarantulas are fun, fun because they're large and they're impressive and. They are in no way potentially lethal, short of ah. 20 or 30 biting you in the throat so that it causes your airways to constrict. I mean, they're actually relatively harmless. I, I wouldn't have a hold otherwise. But it's, it's, with this spider, it's almost like the way it walks and moves around that's more intimidating than the bite itself, which is not to say that a bite would be fun, but... They, they do look menacing with the way they walk around, if that makes sense. It's almost it's just almost the same thing with snakes or with the way sharks swim around. Like Because if, if you watch a shark swimming around, it's usually fairly chill, for lack of a better term. It almost exudes confidence, which is really intimidating in a way. I would say the same thing about a spider, plus its agility, its ability to move around. Um... They do scare me because, like any insect, I mean, it, it has the ability to basically crawl out of anywhere. So spiders, they, they can be very chilling. And I saw that stupid Jeff Daniels movie. And, Arachnophobia. Yeah. One of my all-time exactly. favorites. <laughs> well, there you go. It's actually a good movie. I'll say that. Yeah, it's just, but it, that it, help. It's crazy because I know people who have become permanently scared of spiders because of that movie. Exactly. Like, I'm honestly, I I know a couple of girls who watch it together apparently, and they've they've generally developed a serious fear of spiders. Because anything that you feel might have more access to you is immediately more scary. Which is why yeah, I think. I mean, they can come from anywhere, and I mean, the irony right. of that being that the spiders that they use, the primary spiders that they use for that. Um, the flat kind of uh, the ones that are supposed to be the hybrid of the evil Brazilian spider and the local spider. 
are more or less completely harmless. They chose those spiders one because they look kind of weird. They move a little bit weird, but not only do but they I, I'm not even sure they've they've been recorded having bitten people. I mean, they're that kind of passive, and they look really cool. So, but they're Avondale wolf spiders. They come from a specific reason region of New Zealand, I believe, off the top of my head. But they're pretty big and they look kind of funky and again they're like perfectly harmless. Well, luckily for the actors. But that's the thing. I think you know, like we can almost you know sum up everything we said about every one of these animals with the fact that it's almost always the reputation and the looks that really you know, as you said, they look scary. So that's often enough. You know, that's you just. As as a pre, you just want to stop it there. You don't even want to learn more. I mean, uh, an example, you know, you just mentioned that example of spider. I'd say like the sand tiger sharks, which is, or it's also called a gray nurse shark. Sometimes it looks menacing as hell. Yet it is one of the safer sharks to be around. It's, it's at least among the ones that look like it could rip your face off. It is extremely docile, in fact, surprisingly so. But it looks scary as hell, and that's often enough for people. And, you know, spiders are are the same. I think the main problem is, essentially, it's it's just lack of education about these particular topics. And, I mean, on, on one hand, it's understandable because you can't expect everybody to just want to learn about everything. But... I think even so, I think even if you would assure everybody that a particular species of, of spider is completely harmless, if you see that crawling around your living room, well, not you, but, you know, any other person, I think, I don't think their reaction would be any less um, panicky. Right. I have a, my rule with spiders is pretty simple. If you're in the house and I see you, you're dead. If you're outside and you're potentially dangerous to other people, you're dead. Otherwise, live long and prosper. Oh, well, that's actually, that is a uh, a healthy approach. I mean, uh, I have, my I'm not is... under the delusion that there aren't spiders within my house. I'm pretty sure that there are. If I don't see them and they're not potentially dangerous, you know, if they keep other, if they keep the population of flies and box elder bugs and whatnot down, good on them. You know, if I see you and you're in the house, you die. If you're outside and you're not potentially dangerous, I have no qualms with you being outside. That's kind of where you're supposed to be. Um, another piece of useless trivia, it's Avondale spiders, the ones uh, used in arachnophobia. Avondale, yeah. But I just Googled that, but <laughs> obviously. Um, but, I mean, I, that's a healthier approach. Mine is even more pacifist. I, I really hate killing living creatures. I mean, if you're a spider and you're dangerous and you're you're in my house, you're you're dead. If you're a cockroach, you're dead just because I hate those little fuckers. But um, <laughs> everyone hates cockroaches. Cockroaches serve no purpose. That's why yeah, everyone exactly. hates them. I mean, every 90% of all insects you can point to what they do in the ecosystem, in the food chain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you can kind of go, "Okay, so I can kind of justify letting the bees live, not the hornets because they're mean, but the bees I can let you live." Or, you know, mosquitoes even serve their purpose. I mean, I'm not a fan of mosquitoes either, but again, they serve their purpose. Cockroaches do not serve a purpose. They exist simply to propagate themselves, and they're not even necessarily a great food source for other insects. I mean, cockroaches suck. Yeah. It's kind of my approach to that. (laughs) 
that's I mean that's a that's a decent way of putting it really. And um I I generally want to, unless you're an insect, I generally want to stay away from killing anything. Uh don't get me started on rats, by the way. by far I mean I'm an animal lover but I hate rats by by with a passion. So God for never find a rat in my house. Thank God, but if I ever find one, yeah, I'll, I mean, I guess if I'm not dead first, you're gonna burn the house down and move. Very you possible. find a rat in your house, very, you're like very burning possible. it down and moving. Yeah, and collecting that insurance money, sure. I mean, no, but really, it is. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm definitely not sleeping at home if there's a rat. I mean, I won't even say it's dead because I'm not going anywhere near that. But uh, as far as a spider is concerned. Honestly, if I get the chance to somehow take it out unharmed, I would. Um, in fact, that once, like back when I still used to live in Lebanon as I was a child, uh, a snake once. Um, I, I have, I don't even know what kind of snake it was, but a snake, you know, snuck around the house, and I was very adamant on not killing it for some reason. And um, my, my dad used like a groom or something to just take it out, like really crocodile hunter style. And, um, yeah, at least he told me he kept it alive, so maybe, maybe he was lying all along to hurt my feelings. But if, if you're like an exotic creature and I have a chance to let you live, I would. Well, and just as a point of maybe kind of a counterpoint to what we've been talking about as far as animals that you know, look scary and are potentially dangerous and what and that we perceive as, you know, killers and dangerous and everything... As kind of a counterpart, we've mentioned uh, the late Steve Irwin, and you know, God bless him. He did so much good work for animals and in, in general. But the poor guy was killed by a stingray. I mean, he was like the only recorded fatality since the 1820s. I mean, here's a guy who spent his life handling venomous snakes, crocodiles, all these dangerous things, and a stingray stabs him through the heart with its spine. I mean, just of all the luck. That is a cruel twist of irony. Honestly, when, when I read that, I still remember the newspaper article. Yeah, I didn't even read it on the internet. Actually, it was a newspaper article, and I was generally bummed up, bummed out. Sorry, I, I generally was, and uh, it, it was really when I read that it's a stingray. I was like, what? And I just started Ow. diving back then. I had already seen plenty of stingrays, and you know, but no, nobody. I mean, pretty much everybody treats them like they're harmless because most of the time they really are. And um, it's like, that is ironic. I mean, this dude, as you just said, handled all sorts of, like, Komodo dragons, sharks, crocodiles, all sorts of venomous snakes, and dies at the well, I guess not at the hands of a stingray, but, you know, it's it was, it, somehow it made things worse, even. And more than that... I hate to laugh sorry? about it, but how can you... It's one of those things like yeah. you can't help but laugh. I mean, and it's yeah, sucks. not ha ha like laugh, like not as a, a very ironic laugh. I would agree. And I just mentioned this like he died while filming a show called Ocean's Deadliest, and you know you, you read this, the box jellyfish, all sorts of animals we mentioned, the great white shark, saltwater crocodile, all these animals. And while filming that show, to add to the irony, he dies due to a stingray. I mean. That's, I'm sure Singer wasn't even on the menu as far as the Ocean's Deadliest are, is concerned, and yet somehow... I would assume not even close. Them. Like I said, there's been like two reported fatalities since the mid-1800s. I mean, just something and, stupid. And not only, like, go ahead. And, yeah, I was just about to say, you're absolutely right, and like the one fatality that happens now 
essentially it, it, it took away probably the most popular and most famous, well, he's no real animal scientist, I guess, uh, wildlife, whatever you want to call him. Wildlife uh, enthusiast. What would you call Steve Irwin? Sure, enthusiast. That's that's really what he is. He is a wildlife enthusiast. And he is by far the most popular, I think, and probably the most famous. And there he goes. And the funniest part is that, you know, every time I used to watch that, you uh, watch his show, like one of my parents would say, oh, you know, oh, that dude is going to get killed one day. Except when they say that, nobody really thinks, oh, yeah, due to Stingray. Sting. <laughs> it's yeah. more of a, uh, yeah. And, it's only gonna get stung by a stingray one of these days. You'll see. It's more like, oh, that crocodile is gonna rip his head off one of these days or whatever. And you know, there it goes. It is. It's sad, but yeah, at the same time as you said, you can't help but laugh. Not in a um, haha kind of way. Obviously, it's not actively but... funny or divisive, but that's the only response that. I mean, if I had the same kind of reaction recently, I'm uh, catching up on Breaking Bad, and there's this scene where. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the show, but where this poor guy who has been embezzling and Walter White's wife is the accountant there, and she's gone through all these gesticulations to try and get him to pay off what he owes the IRS, and he's just not doing it. So she gets their attorney, Saul Goodman, to send a couple of goons over with the express instructions of do not harm him. Make him write the check to the IRS. Make all that happen. No physical harm is to come to this guy. And he tries to run away from them, trips on a loose area rug, and crashes headfirst into his kitchen island, breaking his neck. I mean, <laughs> you can't help but laugh. It's just—it's not funny, but that's the only reaction you can have. I mean, yeah, and that's scripted. So when something similar happens yeah. in real life, that's almost, yeah, I was going to say funnier, but you know what I mean. The the emotion is intensified. Let's just go with that, I think. Yes, let's put it that way. Whatever emotion that is. But it is, honestly, it is um, an emotion of, I don't want to say grief, but, you know, like, we're talking about documentaries about animals, and we're talking about Discovery Channel and Animal Planet, and Steve Irwin is somebody who is strongly associated with both. And as you said, has really done such tremendous job. I mean, I'm not turning this into a tribute for the man or anything, but it, it's hard to think of snakes, for example, and not think of Steve Irwin. It's, not, it's, it's hard to think about what we know about them, even spiders. Well, here's a and, <laughs> well there you go. I, I don't mean it, to be really disingenuous, hard. but his crikey is still kind of inter- internally embezzled, in, uh, embezzled, emblazoned in my mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's really part of what made him recognizable or memorable. But the man did, you know, tremendous work. And I feel like, you know, a, a lot of maybe some unconsciously, but many of us who now are find ourselves um, – regularly tuning to into the animal planet and watching just random documentaries about wild animals probably are more accepting to do so because at one point we used to watch, you know, the crocodile hunter and he was kind of likable. So we were conditioned to watch these things. <laughs> yeah, there is some of that definitely. And to kind of wrap, to kind of go on wrapping this up, I want to mention as far as, you know, we talked about Steve Irwin and the stingray that, again, Few, you know, two people in the last 200 years, something like that. There are plenty of legitimately dangerous animals that do not necessarily look dangerous. I mean, the, the, I still remember the first time I heard it, I almost couldn't believe it. But, because again, I for those of you who don't know, I'm 
uh, I was born in 1985, just to, so to kind of date myself here. But I grew up with the hippopotamus as kind of the Disney cartoon character. So when I was 11 or so, and I heard that, no, by the way, hippos kill more people per year than any other animal in Africa, I kind of went, wait, what? But, you know, that's one of those, you know, there are plenty of animals that don't look harmful, but hippos will kill you dead, man. Those those things are mean. Yeah, they're extremely territorial. Extremely territorial. It's not so much for hunting purposes. They're just aggressive and territorial. Uh, especially, you know, mothers are overprotective, to say the least. And, yeah, we almost think of hippos as being somewhat cute. But, um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it often is animals that you don't really think of or, like, you don't normally associate with, you know, dangers and predatory behavior that cause the most frequent, you know, cases of death. I mean, buffaloes in Africa, and Africa kill a lot of people as well, just people being, you know, run over by... Yeah. And, and, like, you know, we were talking about marine life. I mean, you just mentioned the box jellyfish, but we know, you know, we know jellyfish sting, so usually... You don't, you you know, we already have uh, not so flattering views about them, but you you look at something like the lionfish. I mean, the first time I encountered one while diving, I didn't even know what it was, and it is extremely poisonous. And yeah. you look at it, and it's just like this gorgeous-looking fish. And um, you know, it just as you said, it's some some animals get like the a bad rap, and it's undeserved, while others fly under the radar despite, you know, causing far more human fatalities. It's it's um which is again I guess it's a testament to how much we're influenced by the media, by um and, and by the way animal looks really. As I said, like, I mean you look at a shark and it looks like, you know, it's ready to eat you. But you look at a hippo and, you know, you might think it's cute oh, and kinda cute needs and a hug. It's sad. It can't possibly get to me. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, appearances can be very deceiving, especially in the animal, I think in the animal world it even applies more than humans. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, you live in, you make your home in Montreal. I don't know how relevant this would be, but, you know, one of the most dangerous animals that I've seen personally, I mean, if you've ever seen, if you've never seen a moose and you don't know oh, yeah. that it's, you know, I had the greatest line about moose once. That they're the most even-tempered creatures you will ever meet. They are always pissed off. And a moose will kill you dead. It'll trample you. And you know, but if you don't know how dangerous it is, it looks kind of goofy. You think, oh, it's you know, it's kind of. You might even think back to you know Bullwinkle from Rocky and Bullwinkle. And, and uh, no, man, moose, moose are mean. <laughs> Disclaimer to everyone out there: if you see a moose, very carefully move away from it because. It will trample you into the ground and not think twice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like aggression. I guess there are a lot of animals that just don't do it because they're predators. They're just either aggressive or territorial. And moose, I don't, I don't claim to know enough about moose, but I know they're aggressive as hell. I mean, that's actually a very good example um, because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like. It's weird because you think of something 
usually like an aggressive animal, like let's say the bull shark. Well, we've, we've all heard that, you know, they have the highest level of testosterone out of any animal in the world. And, I mean, that alone should be scary because, well, they're sharks and have high levels of testosterone. So, you know, there you go. But so they're the V4 I don't know what moose yeah, I was about to make an MMA joke, actually, but then I opted against it. But, yeah, I'll, really, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Actually, I'll throw over you. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> but, damn, um, yeah, that threw me off completely. But, okay, but a moose, see, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know why they're that aggressive, but, I mean, as you said, they are, they are highly aggressive. And they almost, because a moose almost looks like it's a bigger deer, Almost, so you're not really prompted to to be wary, to to just show it the respect it deserves, I guess. And really, ultimately, that's what it boils down to, you know, just showing these animals respect. And I really feel that if people do, then their chances of encountering um, any sort of um, misfortunes decrease significantly. It's true. I mean, that's one of the reasons I opened with, you know, try not to do anything stupid. If you're, you know, be educated about the situation you're going into. You know, if you're going to be in an area where there are moose or there are bear, know how to properly store your gear so that you do not attract said animal. I mean, I went hiking in a place that was very had a lot of bear activity, and you know, they they all knew it. They, the people who ran the place knew it, so they educated us on the Bermuda Triangle, which was your fire pit, your cooking area, and the area where you disposed of excess food. You store your gear in bear bags that are, it's just a line suspended between two poles that's 30 feet off the ground so the bear can't, if it can smell it, it can't get at it. You know, just educate yourself and you have a much, again, all this is providing that all animals are non-ill because, you know, even your lovable St. Bernard, if it gets rabies, can trap you in a car when the, in the blistering sun and courtesy of Cujo there, but assuming all things are well and equal, then just as long as you don't do anything too stupid, you should be fine. Yeah, that's... I mean, obviously, there are always room for action. I mean, we hear it all the time, like a hiker getting attacked by a mountain lion, and a lot of these attacks are kind of... You, you just don't see them coming, so they're ambushed, essentially. And, and that, you know, in that case, there's really nobody to blame, including the animal itself. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, it's just doing what it's doing. But, There's um, just random chances involved with everything. Right. But as long as you can see the animal, you honestly should be fine if you don't do anything stupid. And sometimes say, something stupid, when, I mean, stupid is sometimes harsh. It's, also what you do it's is not just, only hard, it's relative. Right. And and sometimes something just boils down to ignorance. I mean, sometimes you might react in a way that makes you look like um like a prey. So a bear might you know move move for the kill. So you know these things, if you just don't know any better. And again, it's much easier said than done. I mean, who knows how we would react in a scenario when you're possibly fearing for your life, but hopefully we'll never find out. But you know, it's it's sort of like, uh, just, you know, have a level head, and if you get the chance to think before you act, well, which you almost always do, then do it. Yeah, I agree, and, you know, make an effort to educate yourself when you're going into situations that you're not, that you're not familiar with or that you're aware of animals like that being around. 
Keep a level head if you can. I mean, again, easier said than done, but not all animals are bad guys, people. We've spent the last 90 minutes or so kind of debunking some of the more well-known ones. So, uh, Samer, you got anything to plug for next week? Um, no, I mean, next week, we, Jeremy and I kind of are always a bit impromptu with our calm topics, so we haven't really thought that far ahead. Um, though just today, uh, the latest episode of Occupy the Throne uh, was put into system, I think. Actually, yeah, definitely, it's, it's, uh, it came out. We, we discussed Bellator's uh, move to pay-per-view, so give that one a read. And um, check out the Man Cave podcast reviewing the awesome UFC 163. Is that what it was? And yeah, by awesome, I mean awful, because it was it was a dreadful curd. Jeremy and I spent like an hour talking about everything else that is totally irrelevant to the curd, and about 30 minutes talking about the curd. But um, give that, that one a try to. And, uh, and that's about it. And expect some previews for next week's card as well in, in podcast form, too. So there's that. And um, I'd just like to thank you for having me. As I said, it's always refreshing to talk about anything that is an MMA. And with Shark Week, this does feel relevant. And animals are a bit of a passion of mine. So it's, it's, it's cool to be able to discuss them. And, you know, I, I, was, I was happy we were able to touch on the... All the important points, I would say. I'm very happy to have you. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, I try to post about a, at least three or four days in advance what I'm going to be talking about. Anytime a topic strikes your interest, just let me know. I'm more than happy to have you on. Or anyone listening, by the way, if you happen to feel very conversant on a subject that I post out that I'm going to be talking about, let me know. I'm open to having just about anyone as co-host. Uh, Samer, thank you very much. You're insightful and eloquent as always. As for me, uh, locked in the pleasure. guillotine will be. As for me, locked in the guillotine will be back on Friday. I will be uh, reviewing UFC 163, Clucky's latest bombshell, uh, Jose Aldo's broken foot, all that fun stuff. If you're into MMA, you will. You can find me on the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I will be back next week. Uh, I'm not quite sure what my topic is. I want to kind of dovetail off of animals somewhat, so I might do anthropomorphic animals. I might do Disney animal villains, although I could do that. Disney villains is a separate podcast. I'll come up with something before next week, and I hope to have you all back then. Until then, remember, ladies and gentlemen, bad guys make the good guys seem better. So good night, and hear from Scarface. So say good night to the bad guys.